Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Proverbs chapter 2, I want to talk about creating a reservoir of God's wisdom. Or if you want to uh, have a more uh, detailed title, it's the Disciplined Pursuit of Wisdom. This, uh, if you know Hebrew, which I don't, you'll find out that this, uh, this uh, chapter 2 of Proverbs is an acrostic poem, and that means that uh, every letter of the line, the first line of this, uh, these 22 verses here starts with one letter from the Hebrew alphabet. And I imagine that was done so that people could remember this as uh, uh, the, the wisdom was passed on to, from parent to child and uh, from whoever was leading to somebody else who, who needed lead in that area. Um, so much in life is being reduced. We can, uh, we can get food in a hurry and how many have found that usually, I've found this to be the case, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me that the faster something is cooked, the worse it tastes. Anybody else agree with that? Okay, like slow cooking. I did a brisket the other day, and it took like 13 hours, something like that, and it was good. It was good. Uh, last time I dried it out, so this was a wonderful surprise. But they say low and slow, and that's what makes it good. So uh, those kinds of things uh, show that. And and when we know we roll up to the drive-through and we get something that's been sitting on the uh, heater under the heat lamp for six hours, it's not quite so tasty. Um, you know, in today's hurry-up world, we can't bear with long uh, videos. So they created a new platform, and I'm going to amaze you all again that I know about TikTok. Uh, they have TikTok now where you can just ramble off uh, quick videos and go from one to the next. And uh, because we can't endure to have a five-minute video, we need to have it down to, how long is a TikTok video? Tense? 30 seconds. So we've got to have life in, sh- in shrinking increments. And then uh, we get our news oftentimes in sound bites, and we get our messages in tweets. Never mind that there's so much out there in the world that we can't process it all. And oftentimes, people reason that when you can find almost anything out within seconds on the internet, why know anything for yourself? You don't need to know. This is the probably the world's way of thinking on this, and hopefully not us as Christians. Why know if you know how to find out? In other words, you don't need to know something. You just need to know where to go to get the knowledge that you need. And I want to challenge us in a day that is characterized by these things to be a different kind of person, a person who has actual breadth and, and depth to them, that we're not, we're not uh, small and reaching out for information here and there, but we're actually building our lives upon the wisdom that God can give. Uh, this uh, writer, uh, his name's Jacobs, he wrote, uh, he wrote, he's written a few books, he teaches at Baylor, he talks about having historical breadth, that we, when we know certain things, when we know things about history, when we know things about the world around us, when we know scripture, we, get, we broaden our stance, we get a better foundation upon which to live life. Uh, we need to have uh, some depth to us. And the reason that we need to know, and we, we don't want to just be the kind of people who search out for an answer when we need to know it, but to actually 
be people who are learning and adding to the reservoir of our knowledge. And I'm, I'm talking uh, in general now, but specifically our spiritual knowledge is that oftentimes when we don't know something, uh, we don't know what we don't know. Isn't that kind of the the contradiction of being young is that when we don't know, we don't know what we don't know. So we don't know really what's out there that we're missing out on. We think we have all of the puzzle, but we don't have all of the puzzle yet. There's more to know. So we need to create a reservoir. And then also, we don't know what we need to know. In other words, we don't know what it is that we need to know. Right? And uh, you've experienced this when you've typed the wrong kind of question into Google. Anybody done that? You're like, how do I ask this question so I can really get to the answer that I need to get to? We don't know that we said it wrong. And all of a sudden, we get 10,000 pages popping up with uh, their version of what the answer to our question is. And then the other thing is that if we don't know, we don't know the value of knowing until we know it. There's a value in knowing the scriptures and having them on hand at any moment so that when uh, a moment of temptation comes or a moment of decision comes. We, we're not searching through the Bible to have to find out the direction that we need to follow in this, but the Holy Spirit can bring it to mind like that. Anybody had an experience like that where you're going through something and just at the moment you need it, you remember a verse that applies to that? Sometimes when that's not happening, you might be like, I don't even know if there's an answer out there to this. And so we need to have some kind of reservoir upon which to draw uh, the wisdom that we need for living for God in today's world. It's interesting, in this chapter, there's no commands in, well, how would I know that? Because you haven't read it. Well, let's read it right now. Let's read, uh, let's read, actually, we're going to read through the first uh, six verses, and then I'm going to uh, gather something from verse 9. We can't cover this whole chapter today, but for our purpose, these first six verses. My son, If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding." Look at verse 9 with me. Then, then you will understand what is right and just and fair. In other words, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Okay, so this is God calling us to live by a certain kind of wisdom. And I want to encourage you with something that uh, it never occurred to me. I when I was young in the ministry and as a young Christian, I loved the verses that had to do with commands. Just tell me what to do. I just want to know what to do. Anybody else feel like that? I just want to know what to do. And sometimes it bothered me when the, ver- the verses didn't an- ask, answer that question, what am I to do in this particular scenario? And what I've found since then is that not everything in the Bible is a command, but often God calls us to wisdom. If it were only commands, where God just dictated every little thing that we did, then it would be like him popping in a code into our lives and we're living on automation. And uh, that's not really what God wants us to do. Yes, there are commands. I want to make that very clear. 
But I also want to suggest to you that he also calls us to live in the freedom of relationship in which we understand what pleases him and we live according to that wisdom. A machine occupies a very small world, doesn't it? It only can do what its programmer has told it to do. And I know we're getting into the sketchy and ever-changing world of uh, artificial intelligence here. But I want to suggest to you that, that somebody somewhere has programmed that machine to operate that way. And what God has done is he's created us as free moral agents in which there is freedom to operate with God and to cooperate with God. That we're not just dictated at every moment along the way. That is indeed a very small world. The mind God made is more complex than just following different commands. Certainly he wants us to obey his, his commands. But it's, it's, it's more than that. And, uh, and offers the world we live in offers a degree of difficulties and uh, different degrees of priorities and, and complications that if it's just by living com- by commands, we can't follow through. And I think this is illustrated to us by uh, something which can be really frustrating. Uh, so have you ever called a business and got the automated helpline? Now, this is fresh in my mind because this happened this week. I had a call on uh, something related to some church business, and I got the automated helpline. Okay, so this is frustrating because I got caught in the loop. Anybody get caught in the loop? Press this number. And so, you know, always uh, there's this automated helpline, and you're having trouble uh, with uh, trying to uh, deal with some kind of problem. And so you reach out to touch someone, and nobody's there. It's the void. And so you you've, have trouble finding these real people. And I understand the reason why people do the automated helplines. In some ways, I've been helped by it. But the conversation can go something like this, like press 1 for English and then uh, press 2 for Spanish. And so you decide on which language you're going to speak. And I guess if you speak German, you're out, out of luck there. Uh, please press 3 if you'd like to review your recent transactions. Okay, Press 4 if you would like to cancel your service. Press 5 if you would like to leave your name and number and an email address for somebody to get back with you later, and please press 6 to get back to the main menu, whatever that was. So we've got this automation, and, and the only way that that machine can respond is within, within a world in which those are the answers. If you have any problem that's outside of that automation, uh, you need to talk to somebody else. You need to talk to somebody who's real, and that's a very small world indeed. Okay, and uh, if you get too complex, they have to get help. The automators, the automation has to get help from real people who can use wisdom to troubleshoot a situation. Not just following some kind of rote, but can actually process through a situation to determine what is the best course. Can you relate to that a little bit? Maybe you're on the other side of that, and you realize, if I'm going to fix this situation... I can't just follow the processes, and especially as you begin to be an expert in an area, you realize it's not just following processes that gets us to the proper solution. It's when we really understand how to troubleshoot those situations and find creative solutions that maybe aren't mentioned that uh, we really uh, begin to find solutions to those problems. I guess, uh, could you imagine trying to have a personal conversation with somebody like, like the automated thing? How was your day? <laughs> Por favor, oprima numero dos para español. 
Uh, sorry, I don't speak German. And then the AI is, please press 1 to return to the main menu. And you're, you're like, I was hoping you could, uh, you could help me out. And it's like, please press 5 if you would like to leave your name and number. Yes, I'd like somebody else to get back to me, somebody real beyond this. And so you see that there's a problem in which there's a world that's created where some program follows commands, and then there's another world out here in which there are commands, but there's also wisdom, and that helps us to deal with the complex world in which we live. So God gives us some commands, and he also gives us a lot of wisdom with which to find out how to live in a way that pleases him. God's wisdom turns us into real people who can operate in a real world with complexities. And there are a lot of areas where it's not so simple, but if we know God's word, if we know the reservoir, if we have a reservoir from God's word, in any moment we can hear from the Holy Spirit and he can help us to determine what is the best course in this situation. Let me point out um, four different uh, four different challenges to the... Uh, to the the hearer this morning that includes us. So who who here is is being taught? And I'm not asking you that. I hope you are. But uh, in this passage, who's being taught? Well, maybe Solomon is reflecting upon some wisdom given to him by his father David. Maybe David's passed on some knowledge, and he's recounting this to his son. Maybe Solomon's talking to his son. I imagine as I was reading this passage, Solomon is speaking to Rehoboam, who by the way turned out to be a fool. But the instruction was still there. I don't know who it was, but we do know that this is written to us. It's written to us as well. In addition to whoever uh, Solomon is first writing these Proverbs down as he's instructing uh, his children, it becomes wisdom for Israel. It becomes wisdom for the church. And therefore, it's wisdom for you and me. Okay, So uh, if you go back to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says that all of these proverbs are w- words to the simple, okay, to the simple, to the young, and to the wise. That's a big category, isn't it? So the simple are those that don't know a lot, okay? And I don't think it means anything derogatory by that. It just means those who are uneducated. To the young, those who are learning, and then to the wise. So word to the wise. So we don't get a check out from the proverbs just because we maybe consider ourselves wise or even have proven ourselves wise, the Proverbs are for that too. And so here is a message to the wise. This is to, this is to us today. Um, we're called to be wise. This, uh, this second chapter is a call to internalize the parental teaching. And it goes from the first command in, in chapter 1 to here to the, the call to accept in chapter 2. So the, the, I'd like you to notice that this is a, uh, an if-then conditional statement. Look with me at chapter 2 here. And verse, uh, verse 1 says, My son, if, if, okay? And then go down to verse 3 and notice it says, Indeed, if, okay, if. And then verse 4 it says, in, And if, and then in verse 5 it says, Then, Okay? And then in verse 9, it says, then. So do you see what's happening here? It's an if, 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 then situation. That's conditional. So what God is saying is that if you want wisdom, then there are certain conditions that have to be met for that. If you want wisdom, 
than this. If you want wisdom, then this. And so he's telling us what these things are. And I want to suggest to you, there's really only one if here. This is just one condition that's being met by four different phrases here. So let's look, let's look at them, all right? As we think about this, this is an if-then conditional statement, and that means that the result can't happen unless certain conditions are met. Now, that's, that's kind of abstract and out there, but I'd like you to think of it this way, that if you really want wisdom from God, we can't just expect it to happen. There's things that we have to do. Is that true? Okay. If we want to have knowledge of God, if we want to know our Bibles better, I mean, I don't know of any Christian that doesn't want to know our Bible better, but there is a condition for that. It's reading. If we read, if we listen to good biblical preaching, if we uh, read good, solid biblical Christian books, I don't mean every book has to be about the Bible, but I'm hoping that you're reading some books that if you're reading books in addition to the Bible, you're reading some books in which the author is Christian and coming from a biblical perspective. Okay, so if we're doing things like that, then we're going to grow in our Bible knowledge. If we talk to other people about the Scriptures and we reason through it, even if we disagree on things, sometimes understanding can come through that. So if we're going to get more in terms of a reservoir of Bible knowledge, that's only going to happen because we've done certain things, okay? So uh, that's the if-then of this statement there. So it covers four verses, and then uh, the then comes in verse 5 and 9. In this case, the understanding is how to fear, uh, how to live in the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. So what this is doing is the Father teaching the Son, and uh, and he his knowledge and his wisdom is being passed on to us. So what's being pursued here? What's being pursued here? I'm going to make sure we understand this before we get into these different parts. He says, he calls it in verse 1, my words and my commands, my words and my commands, okay? We're talking, the, the, the writer here is talking about one thing, but listen how he describes it, my words and my commands. In verse 2, he calls it wisdom and understanding. In verse 3, he calls it insight and understanding. In verse 5, he calls it the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. In verse 6, he calls it wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, okay? But really, he's talking about one thing, using different words. If we go in and we try to break down these different words, we might get nuances, but we'll miss the point. He's not calling us to five or six different things. He's calling us to one thing. Okay? And the reason I know that is because when he talks about this, he uses, he refers to it as an it. He doesn't say the them. If you want them, then you'll do this. No, he says... If you want it, then you'll do this. If you want it, what's the it? The wisdom and understanding and, and the knowledge of, and the fear of the Lord and uh, insight. So he's talking about one thing, singular. And then in verse 4, as he wraps uh, up the conditions here, uh, in verse 6, he uses them as synonyms for the same thing. Look at verse 6 with me, and we'll get into these. He says here, the Lord gives wisdom from his and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He's talking about one thing. So what are we to do? What's the if then? Look at verse 1. Uh, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. Accept my words and store up uh, my commands within you. 
The father is talking. The question is, is the son listening? And God has spoken, and the question is, are we hearing? Right? Okay, God has spoken. And I don't even know that it's necessary that he has to be continually speaking. Okay? I think he speaks when it's necessary to speak, and I don't think he speaks when it's not necessary for him to speak. Because his words have power. So he speaks. The question is, are we, are we listening? He's spoken. He's spoken in his word. Are we listening to what he said? Okay, so he says, if you accept my words, the word for accept here means to take in hand, to take in hand or to grasp. Do you grasp them? The New English Bible uses the phrase, take to heart. Do you take to heart uh, what I'm saying? Do you take to heart my words? Hey, I know from growing up in church that it was easy to sit in the chair and not listen. All we were doing was counting minutes. When I was growing up, I was counting minutes to get out of there. I dreaded Sunday mornings. I did. And it wasn't because I didn't believe it was true. It was just boring. So I sympathize with you. If you're bored right now, I sympathize with that. Uh, Because that was my growing up. And it wasn't necessarily because the preacher didn't preach exciting messages. I just was interested in other things. And so I sat back there in my chair. We had green chairs. First we had the wooden pews near the back that if we got padded shoes if uh, pa- padded sho- padded pews it said padded shoes get padded pews if you sat up front but in the back there were wooden pews and then we moved to the new sanctuary and they were green chairs and lovely but you could sit in those and not hear a thing from god if you wanted to you could and probably if you've been around church enough you know that it's a whole different thing when i said to said yes to jesus and i started listening and I was hungry for every word. And I was questioning every word. Is this the word of God? Is this contrary to the word of God? And, and I wasn't doing it. You remember there's that verse in Acts uh, where it talks about the Bereans and how that they searched diligently to see if what Paul said was true. Remember that? And then I think maybe it's in Paul's letter uh, where Paul describes the Thessalonians, the same people, or the same region of people, he describes as people who were, they didn't do as we suppose, they gave themselves first to God and to us. And my whole point in saying that is that there was an eagerness not to try to necessarily uh, see the error in it. It was trying to find the truth, and the truth, when we grab onto that, it exposes the error for what it is. So we hold on to what's true, and he was searching for truth. And I think that's what this is about, is accepting, taking into hand the teaching of the fathers. I don't know if your dad was like mine, but my dad liked to pass on tidbits of folksy wisdom, you know? And uh, half the time, probably I wasn't listening. Then he says at the second part of this verse, after accepting the word, store up, store up, save up. ESV uses the word treasure to translate this word, treasure my commands within you. Now, these aren't commands, but he's been giving commands, and he will give commands. But he's saying to him, if you really want wisdom, this is an invitation. If you really want wisdom, you should welcome it as you would a treasure. It's a treasure towards the things of God. And so this deals with a mistake that sometimes we make about truth. And I've seen it, and I've experienced it myself 
that there's this idea, which is this, if it doesn't seem relevant now, it doesn't matter. If it doesn't seem relevant now, it doesn't matter. If I'm not going through something that that speaks to, then it's not really important. And what that really is is kind of a self-centered way of looking at Scripture. Like, I have to filter it through my experience. So if I'm going through something and it matters to that, then it's important. Then God has spoken. But if I don't feel it's so important at this moment, God hasn't spoken. That's the wrong way to look at it. And I think it really comes down to uh, division on this. You see, I think that uh, as a child, uh, I was kind of like this towards English grammar. I didn't. I would go to class, and we had. I was, I was telling Joe and Janie the other day that I remember the book in fourth grade or third grade. It was this English grammar. It was called Language Arts, and it was written in kind of a mid '80s font, if you can imagine that, and purple on white. And that's all I can remember from that book because it was boring. I, I couldn't find any use in it. I know, what does it relate to playing baseball? How does this relate to having fun with your friends or destroying G.I. Joe or whatever we were going to be doing? Didn't know what it had to do with anything. And so I checked it out of my mind, and I kicked myself about every day for doing that. Because it's relevant now. Fourth grade grammar matters now that I'm 45. And I wish I'd remembered. Tell your kids the cautionary tale of Pastor Luke. How you could be so much better at grammar if only you'd pay attention. And uh, so grammar is important if you're going to understand these sentences that we're reading here. So there's a difference between timely truths and timeless truths. Timely truths are those truths that we hear in a moment that we need them. Like we're going through something scary and we we come up in our Bible reading, uh, not because we've looked for it, uh, although you could get it that way, but but we've come across it in our Bible reading. It says, uh, the Bible says, fear not for I'm with you. And so that moment, that word is very timely because you needed it right then. Okay, You needed it in a particular way. But there are also truths in the Bible which are timeless. That means they exist and they're perpetually relevant, whether we see the immediate application for them or not. Somebody said, and I can't remember who it was. I know Oz Guinness said this in his book, Prophetic Untimeliness. He said, if you want to be relevant, always speak timeless truths because they're always relevant. You may not know exactly how they apply, but there are timeless things the Bible is teaching us. And you might read the Bible and go, well, that's just not speaking to me today. Don't skip over it, because what you're doing is building up a reservoir of wisdom. Someday it will be relevant. If it's in the Bible, the Bible doesn't waste words. There's a lot of things. I mean, when it skips from Moses, you know, is a baby, and now Moses is 40 years old or whatever, it's not wasting words. Then tell us all the details we'd like to know about Jesus. We don't know his eye color, his hair color. We could probably guess at all that. We don't know exactly how tall he was or anything like that because that's not really important to the message. The Bible tells us what we need to know. And so 
we need to hear what it has to say. And I'm saying that to say that if it's, if it's not going to give us all the details in one area, but it gives us more details in another, those details God sees as important, even if we don't in the moment. So we want to hold on to timeless truths. So you might be quietly and slowly filling your reservoir. What uh, we want to do is we want to gain this reservoir of wisdom. A reservoir is something that holds excess water to be available for the time that it's needed. Anytime water is needed, we can just turn on the tap, you know, and it's there. And we usually we don't question that. Is, is it ever weird when, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this, but sometimes in Kansas, uh, there would be a severe thunderstorm or a tornado would go through and it knock the power out. We'd have a power outage for a couple of days. And the weird thing was you would go into a room and you would forget there's no power and you'd flip the switch. And you'd be like, why is there no power? Oh, yeah, we just had a storm. But isn't it wonderful to be able to walk into a room and turn the faucet on and there's water there? Do you know why that happens? There's a reservoir of it somewhere stored up. But a lot of times in our Christian life, we, when we don't have a reservoir, we turn the faucet on and it's dry. And that's what I hope we can avoid. And that's what this passage wants us to avoid is the idea of having an empty an empty reservoir, having nothing in store, no wisdom stored up for today. I, I've met people that treat the Bible like Google. If I need it, I know where to look for it. So instead of storing up wisdom for the day they need it, they go to the Bible and uh, look for the solution to the problem. And there, there's nothing wrong with doing that. There are special times when we need to do that. A doctor who's gone to medical school, if you want Think about this. When you go to the doctor, do you want somebody who just has popped into an office and can look up all your medical problems on Google? Or do you want somebody who's been to school and knows human anatomy and knows a little bit about how medicine interacts with the body and and, uh, something about physiology and has some kind of experience? And they still may need to go to the book, but they have a pretty good grasp on everything. Which one do you want to go to? Right? And I think that's true in our Christian life is do we want to be the kind of people who just pops into our, you know, Bible gateway or wherever and find a verse that we need for a moment? Or do we want to be the kind of people that are drawing from a deep reservoir of wisdom that's there? That's a, that's a challenge to us. And so I would encourage you to, to have that reservoir because, one, the Bible is a big book. And it's hard to know where to look for things that we're not familiar with. Besides, the purpose of the Bible is not to be just a book. Did you know that? It's not the purpose of the Bible to just sit on the shelf as a beautiful book. You probably don't have too many other books that are leather bound. But the purpose of the Bible is to get this from here into here. All right? That's God's call and that's God's expectation of us. So this is a father's wisdom being passed on to a son. And he challenges him to take it to heart to take it and internalize what you're learning. And uh, then we can, we can know wisdom. And so this is how God passes on wisdom to us. He wants us to store it up for the day of need. Uh, my dad passed on a lot of w- wise advice about life. And as I said, I wish I'd paid attention a little bit more. Uh, but it usually dealt with things that seemed really far off to me. 
like I don't know what it, like stuff that would deal with life later responsibilities I would have in many years but what he was doing and I didn't appreciate it at the time and if you're a parent your kids probably don't appreciate it right now you were fill he was filling up my reservoir and that's what the bible is intended to do is to fill up our reservoir notice it says here um my son accept if you want wisdom accept my words and store up my commands within you store up that's uh, to create a reservoir every time every time we read our bible we read a good christian book we listen to the Bible preached, we can begin filling up a reservoir of wisdom. If we accept, it means to welcome in, and if we store up. And this probably makes means taking an interest, even if it doesn't seem relevant at the moment. I'd like you to notice the second thing here, and this is verse 2. And the if carries forward from the previous statement. As, as I said, there's only one if, and these are all conditions of that if. Okay, so turning your ear, so if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. To turn your ear is to listen attentively. The New Living Translation says, tune your ears to wisdom. Anybody remember the old days of radio? Back in the ancient days when you turn the knob and you hope to find the station. Not the, We didn't have the presets. We had the knob, and it was analog. And you turned it, and the, the station got clearer, and if you went too far past it on the dial, then it got fuzzier again. Okay? Is everybody awake? You remember that? Okay. So this is kind of what is in mind here is tuning in to wisdom, listening for it. Tuning in to it. Turn, tune your ears to wisdom. And applying your heart is to bend towards or incline. And this meant, uh, this uh, idea of the heart meant the, the center of the will. And I'll, I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But, but this means disciplined hearing. And it also means a readiness to hear. So we have a, an opportunity to apply our appetites to what it is that we listen to and what it is that we want. Okay, I, I don't know um, why it's this way, but we can train our appetites. Has anybody experienced that? that you, there's some things that you didn't like, but you learned to like it. I, I know this is true because I don't know how anybody could start smoking unless they train themselves to do it. I'm not encouraging that. But I'm saying that you have to get over the first nastiness of it to learn to enjoy it. I've never done that, so I don't know. But it seems to me that there are certain things. You have to get over the initial nastiness of coffee to learn to love it. I don't, maybe, maybe, how many of you out there, you, the first time you drank coffee, it was delicious. And I'm not talking about buttered down, watered down, milk down, sugared up coffee. I'm talking about the plain stuff. You just loved it the very first time. It was delicious. Man, no, you have to train yourself. Why? We've got to get that caffeine buzz going. I think that's why. But there's, we train our appetites, and I think it's true when it comes to wisdom, too, is that we've gotten so used to having entertainment thrown at us at a fast pace, and we've gotten everything uh, filtered to us in ways that 
are appealing to our appetite. And so that when it comes time to read the Bible, we have no appetite for that. Because we've, we trained ourselves to be uh, stimulated by fast-moving images, not slow, standing still words on a page. And you know, that's really a shallow view of the Bible because the Bible is alive and active. And as those words move on, action is happening. We're taking in truth that is God's word. It's, it's changing us if we listen to it. But we've gotten so used to, and I would encourage you, if you're a parent, be careful about how much screen time you give your kids. You're training their brains to not tolerate text. And that's scary. Because we're going to just watch the Bible on TV. We've got to learn to apply ourselves to the Word of God and to have an appetite, an appetite for it. He says, turning your ear and applying your heart to understanding. So here, again, this was... I I, I was going to say to have a disciplined heart in hearing often means that we come at it like we want we want to know what God has to say. There's a reason why we might not want to know what God has to say, and that's because we don't want to change. Okay? We don't want to change, or we don't want to be corrected, or we don't want to give something up, or we don't want to bow, or whatever it might be. There's some reasons. Uh, when many of us were young, I know for me this was true, we were trying to find that line between sin and righteousness because we didn't want to get under God's judgment, but we sure would love to get to the edge of where that is because it will be fun there, we think. So where is the line? And that was so we could have as much as we wanted without making God mad. And when I asked that question, I realized later my motivation wasn't to please God. It was to do what I wanted to do. I wasn't inclining my heart to the Word. I was inclining the Word to my heart. God, where's the line? Where I want... I want your commands to suit what I want. And that's not how the Bible works. If we really want to hear from God, are we willing to surrender and trust God is good enough and he knows better for our lives than we know for ourselves? And to lean into that and say, I may not want this. God knows what's best. There's nothing wrong with knowing where the boundaries are. Um, But before we cross them, we may have already crossed the line in our heart. Think about this, to incline our heart towards the things of God. If we're saying to him, Lord, where's the line? Because I want to walk as close to it as I can. Usually uh, what we're doing there is we've already, in our heart, we're wanting to cross that line. And Jesus dealt with that, that you cross the line in your heart before you cross the line with your body. He talks about it in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, about hate and lust and greed. That those sins are accomplished in the heart before they're accomplished out in the physical world, right, with murder and theft and adultery. So when, it, when we're inclining our heart toward wisdom, we gain the right disposition for a believer. We hope God will turn his ear to us. Why would we not turn our ear to him? Now, that means committing ourselves to a direction. The condition uh, entails commitment, and that, that's how it is when we learn to ride a bike. If you want to learn to ride a bike, you can study bike theory all day long. You can read about fi- the physics of riding a bike and study the dimensions of a bike and know how the, you know, the, the, is it the sprocket that turns the chain and turns the, 
the wheel and you can know how the brakes work and all of that. That's not riding a bike. Right? How did you learn? My dad got me on this big gangly bike that was I couldn't even touch the ground and pushed me down the road. And I crashed into the grass. He said, let's do it again. And we did it again <laughs> and again. And then finally you're like, I don't like crashing anymore. And so you learn how to do that little thing where you stay upright. And then you learn how to brake. And then you get hurt with bike accidents beyond that because you think you know it too well. But that's, that's how you learn. It's a commitment. Like somebody has to let go. Somebody has to get on the seat. Somebody has to pedal. And you learn through that kind of commitment. And this is inclining our heart towards the things of God. It's taking a step of faith in the area of wisdom where he's given wisdom, where he's, he's revealed himself, where he's given commands. We step out and we start to live within that. That's inclining our heart towards him. I want to talk about this as we move into the next thing here. Uh, the heart in the Old Testament, uh, it's, a, it's a different term in the Old Testament than what we would expect. To us, heart means emotions. And if you read the Old Testament that way, you're going to get it wrong. Because in the Old Testament, the heart means the center of the will. It's not necessarily the emotions. Okay, And so what we've done is we've taken our cultural lenses and we've looked at the Bible and said it says heart. It must mean our feelings. And it doesn't mean that. Okay, And I'll give you an example of that. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of the heart were only wicked all the time. Okay? The thoughts of the heart. We would expect to find there, in our language, thoughts of the mind. But that's not how the Old Testament writers wrote. They thought of the center of the will as being the heart and not the mind. That's a later development. And so when we talk about, when we talk about the, the heart in the Old Testament, understand this is the center of a person's decision-making capabilities. Okay, so when you incline your heart, you're inclining your will towards the wisdom God's given. So here's how this plays out. Some people, and, and I've done this. I want to just say uh, Luke has done this. Come to God and said, God, what is your will on this scenario? Please tell me it's this because this is what I want. And please don't tell me that because that's not what I don't want. And if you tell me this, I'm going to do it. And if you, don't, if you tell me that, I'm not going to do it. Do you think God is going to say a single thing to a person that's like that? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, and he, sometimes he does. But what he might say is, your heart's not right. Right? But when we come and we say, tell me your will, whether I like it or I don't like it, and we really mean to follow through with it, God will speak to us. Bruce Watke says in his commentary, your heart is the most important uh, human term in the Old Testament. He says, in the Old Testament, the heart is the center of the intellect and will. And so when we incline our hearts, we're inclining our will to follow him, not wisdom. Okay. In the next verse, verse 3, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry out, Cry aloud for understanding. So here's the next condition, calling out. This is the caller to summon. Uh, New Jerusalem Bible has plea. Good News Bible has beg, beg, beg for wisdom. 
and then cry out in the second part of that verse is to give voice, to raise up your voice, as the ESV says it. Good News Bible here has plead, so that's beg and plead. Okay, uh, I'd like you to notice here, it goes from to call out to cry out. Do you think that's a, a decreasing intensity or an increasing intensity? To call out, to cry out. It's incre- it increases in intensity. And I, I think this suggests the kind of uh, hunger and desperation a person ought to have for the things of God is that there ought to be a growing intensity for these things. Okay, so he... He says to call out, and I picture someone in this scenario calling out in the streets for their child. Uh, it doesn't have to be a desperate and ugly situation. Many times my mom would say, uh, you know, Luke, it's time for dinner. And you somehow kids can hear their mom's voice even if they pretend they can't. Okay, so, um, and then you can also imagine a mom searching for a lost child. My mom, I, I loved her. She taught me the Bible, but she was sometimes forgetful and got caught in whatever she was doing at that moment was the focus of her attention. So a lot of times, we went to places like Cloth World when I was growing up. Ugh. That's as far away from baseball as you can get. Cloth World and Kmart. Didn't spend a lot of time at Kmart. And eventually, I got tired of looking at women's clothes with my mom as a little boy. And so I would wander off. And it was the 70s and early 80s, and uh, things weren't bad in the area we were, so she didn't worry too much about me. But eventually, I'd be like, where's my mom? Got too far away from her. And so I'm looking for the nearest lady with blonde, almost white hair. And too many times, I've hugged ladies and said, there you are, only to look up and realize, you're not Maxine. (laughs) But uh, one time in particular, I got away from her somewhere in the store. It sounds like she was a terrible mom. She wasn't. She didn't neglect us. Um, But I got away from her far enough in the store that I had to have the intercom system call me. Anybody have to do that for your kids? Like, Luke Kerr, can you please come to the front? (laughs) Your mom's looking for you. Oh, no. But you can kind of picture calling out calling out, crying out even for wisdom. What's our level of intensity on this? Are we kind of whispering for it? Or do we want God's wisdom? Are we crying out for it? This suggests to me that understanding doesn't come immediately, that we should raise our voice to a higher and higher pitch to call forth wisdom. And it doesn't mean that wisdom's hiding either. It means that it's there, but we call for it. And, and I wonder here if in calling forth wisdom, if the picture is somehow describing asking questions to gain wisdom. Maybe this is a, uh, a poetic way of saying, if you want wisdom, call out for it. If you want wisdom, ask questions to gain wisdom. Be an inquiring heart towards the things of God, and you'll gain wisdom. Finally here, hunting. It's not exactly the metaphor. I would use treasure hunting, but I'm not really fond of that term so much here. But uh, there's hunting here in in verse 4. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Why does it mention silver here and not gold? Uh, There were times 
sporadic times in history where silver was more valuable than gold. And so probably at this time that Solomon's writing, silver is more valuable than gold. And so he's saying here, uh, search for it as you would for priceless metals. Search for it as you would for treasures. Look for it. Hunt, hunt for it. And when it says look here, it means to seek out, to look for it as hard as you would for buried treasure in the Good News Bible. To search, uh, search out, and the Revised English Bible has dig for her, dig for her. You want wisdom? Dig for her. Okay, this is a hunt that we're on. And uh, too many times as Christians, we're kind of casual with this stuff. Like if God wants me to have wisdom, he'll just give it to me or I'm going to naturally get there. And we neglect our Bibles and we neglect serious conversations uh, in which we have to think with uh, discerning minds and hearts. And uh, we just think that, and and then a lot of people kind of live life as it comes to them. They take it casually, and they never really think too deeply about what life is about. And that's really a mistake. If we're going to live well, we have to be, we have to, we have to think seriously about what life's about and not just take it as it comes. If there's a God who really wants us to live to please him, then it, uh, it bears searching out his will. I never, I've never seen hunters like uh, hunters in Alaska. And you know that if people knew what people do, in people in the lower 48 knew what Alaskans did to get an animal, they would think we're crazy. It's true. So uh, I was going to tell you, my nephew, uh, we were visiting Kansas and my brother's church there. And my nephew said to Janie, hey, you, you wanna, I'm going hunting after church. I've never, never, you never hear that in Alaska. I'm going hunting after church because hunting involves a lot more. And so he said, I'm going hunting after church in Oklahoma. And I'm like, okay. He said, you want to go? And I thought hunting, wilderness, camo, packing, difficulty, maybe no animal. Those kinds of things that are the frustrating part of hunting. And uh, no, that's not what he has in mind. I thought, okay, well, here it's going to be like a three-hour drive. We're going to go to some place in Oklahoma and sit in a, a deer stand and watch for the deer and then maybe shoot one. That'll be great. And uh, so we agreed to go, and he's like, no, that's not exactly what it's like. He drives <laughs> one mile south of town, crosses the Oklahoma border. His grandparents have a house right on the highway, one mile from the church. And he sits in the living room and looks out the back window for a deer coming out to a feeder. And then if he sees one that he likes, he'll jump, he'll step out on the porch and shoot it. And then he'll drive out with an ATV and get the animal, bring it into the barn, hang it up on some kind of pulley system, uh, gut it over a trash can, throw it in the back of the truck, drive off to the meat processor, three hours done and dusted. And that happened, and I saw it with my eyes. And I said, here's what hunting is like in Alaska. And described a little bit about, you know, you get the animal, and then you got to pack it out, and you got to hike up to these uh, vistas to look out. And some people go out there for a couple weeks, and probably some of them longer, and they spend this much money to get equipment to go hunting. And it's hard. And you stink when you're done. And it's not a three-hour tour. Right? Maybe in the Gilligan sense. 
So that's not hunting. I know I know what trouble we go to. And I know it's pretty mild in comparison with others. My point is, whether that's good or bad or hunting habits, my point is that hunting for wisdom should be more than casual. We're not sitting in, in Granny's living room looking out the window for wisdom to come by. We go out and get it. We pursue it. We run after it. We spend we spend money on good resources to read the Word. We spend time. I mean, you're here this morning. That's a great start, I think. But man, and if you add to, actually, we should start with our daily bread, right? And not the little publication, but we read the Bible every day, and, and we join together at church, and we pursue God in serious study. And we don't just always casually read the Bible. I think we need to have a Bible reading program that includes we read it casually and just listen for the voice of God. And I think we need to, in addition to that, have a program where we study it in depth and ask questions and outline and and write. One thing that I did this year uh, as we were studying 2 Corinthians is I I came up with a Bible. I found a Bible translation. I wanted to, and I copied it word for word. And if I made a mistake... I cross the mistake out in an ugly, and it bugs me so much because it's right there on the page. If I wasn't listening to the text right, I cross it out and I go back to where I messed it up and I start again. And that way I can see at this point I stop paying attention. And you write it word for word. That's one way you can do it. There's others. But I want to I wanna know God's wisdom. I described that hunting to my nephew that we do in Alaska. He said, no thanks. What do we say? Notice here that there's an escalation in total from one to the next. Okay, we we ended with hunting. We started with gathering in, listening for, accepting, welcoming God's wisdom. And we've ended with hunting. So we started with that, and then we incline our heart towards it, and then we cry out for it, and then we go in search of it. Do you see how that escalates? That's how we we gain wisdom. We gain wisdom that way. It starts with welcoming. It ends with pursuing. Change. Change is being... Change of being or change in who we are happens over time. It's not brought about by just straining at the will and through power, but a long, deep process of unselfing, unselfing. Bruce Watke, in his commentary, he talks about uh, uh, that unselfing that happens over time. Eugene Peterson would have called something like this a long obedience in the same direction. If you go the same way with God long enough, you'll gain a reservoir of wisdom and you will change. You will change. Oh, I've never wanted to give the impression that learning the Bible is learning facts about God. I don't want to give that impression or knowing what words mean, that it's all about that. And that might get old at times. I was thinking about this this morning. I, there's this preacher that I like to listen to sometimes. And and today I just thought, not today. And I realized, I, I thought about something when I did that. I'm like, even the guys you like to listen to most... It can get old after a while. And I, I realized that the most important thing is that we're listening, we're listening to God's Word. All of this that we do, the 
talking about backgrounds and what words mean and applying it to our life and spending time here on Sunday morning listening from to somebody speak from the pulpit is for the sake of serving God. That's it. And if we're not doing that, we're not accomplishing anything. If we've got big heads about with knowledge of God, but we've got no Christian living, we're not any better off. In fact, we don't take this the wrong way, but we're just putting ourselves in a place where we're more accountable because we're not we're not living to the truth that we know. And so all of this, I, I'm telling you, I'm dedicated to preaching God's word and to knowing what God's word says, and we're gonna we're gonna flesh it out, and it's not gonna be as exciting as maybe some other sermons. But if we can go away, we can walk away and we can have a practical knowledge of God, and we've got a reservoir of wisdom by which to live. We'll accomplish that. We're not going to be known as the most exciting church in town, I don't think. We're not. But we will. what we will be known as, I think, is a loving church and a church that really wants to follow the wisdom of God. That's what I want us to be, and I hope you are in agreement with that. James chapter 3, verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by a good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such sarcastic quotes, wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. There's a struggle about how to live life, and it goes back to the Garden of Eden. We we either live by God's wisdom or human wisdom. And I don't want to be misunderstood. That's not it's not a battle between faith and thinking. It's not. Wise Christians are thinking Christians. This is a battle between thinking with God or thinking against God. And the battle will be so much harder if we wait until the need arises and then we go looking in the Scripture for an answer that fits the issue. If you wait until your kids become teenagers and start asking hard questions, it's going to be trouble. You better store up now. If you... It, it's not going to be easy if you wait until temptation is upon you, and then you have to find a verse to combat that. You should build a reservoir now. When doubts come, don't wait till the doubt comes to reinforce yourself with the knowledge of God. Do that now. And yeah, you may need to reinforce it with that too, but let's have a reservoir from which to draw. And God will be pleased. Living for God is so much more than simply following rules. Some of you might hear that I don't think there are rules in the Bible. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's not all rules. Not everything is a rule. What Scripture is inviting us to today is a rich relationship in which we gain wisdom. He promises us that. Look at the then. So we we heard all the ifs. If you accept, if you store up, if you turn your ear towards, if you apply your heart to, if you call out for, if you cry aloud for, if you look for it, if you search for it, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Verse 9, then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. Then. 
So what's this look like? It means that we have to have an increased appetite for knowledge about living for God. That's what this is. This wisdom we're talking about is knowledge for living for God. That's what wisdom is. Knowledge for living for God. It's practical, but it involves our brains. The second thing is it will be it will be more interest in wi- the wisdom of God than the wisdom of the world. If you're a Christian parent, you should encourage your kids to be really good students. But sometimes Christian parents are guilty of this. Be really good at school, but we neglect the Word of God. How is that biblical? I mean, there are things in this world that are important, but all of that passes away when the, the day of the Lord comes. But knowledge of God lasts forever. Why would we not prioritize that first? Make school very important. Make knowledge of God more important. Okay? And then it's, uh, it will mean that we will read our Bibles and take them seriously. And it's going to mean that we persist through the stuff we don't find very interesting because it still matters. That's what I think this kind of pursuit looks like. Amen. Stand with me if you would. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.